0: Me, I'm Wayne Gretzky.
1: I'm Babe Ruth. I'm Michael Jordan. I'm number one around here. Are you done talking, Max? Are you done talking?
2: So, this week we're going to talk about being dickheads. And I know there might be some audience members out there listening who are underage. We're not trying to use this as like foul language per se. We use lots of foul language, but we're talking about something that maybe you don't call each other. We used to call each other dickheads all the time when we were younger. And a dickhead is somebody who does something incredibly rude, out of place, and in poor taste, and does something usually to offend somebody. Jim, would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, that's an that's an accurate assessment. And also, we. We called our friends it. Like, we call it like everybody got called a dickhead. Like, it wasn't a thing.
2: Right. It wasn't a big deal. Right. And so today we're going to start off our episode by talking about episodes we've had in our lives of being dickheads. And so, Jim, let's start with you. Do you have any memories of something you did or someone you saw be a dickhead around you? Oh, no. It's me for sure. Um, I don't know if
1: I've told the soccer story on here or not. No. The, okay. So, me and my buddy Derek went to um a soccer game for the Buffalo Blizzard. He was big soccer guy. I like soccer. It was in my indoor soccer league and um at the end of the quarters they would kick balls into the stands. Mm-hmm. And if you caught one, you could go down cuz it had a specific like I don't know like symbol on it or somebody drew on it, but you could take it to customer service and redeem it for a free coupon for a pizza. Okay. They're kicking it and I'm fairly high up, but like they're having one of the players do it and he launches this rocket and it's coming right for me, but it's low. And right before it gets to me, there's this like, I don't know, like 10 year old, eight year old kid in front of me who grabs it at the same time that I did. Mm-hmm. So I keep my grip on the ball and I lift this kid off the ground. <laughs> Until he drops the ball out of his hands. And everybody, uh, like his parents are looking at me and everybody around me is looking at me and I'm like, free pizza. <laughs> and, um,
0: and Jim's like almost a legit seven foot. So I could just see this kid dangling.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and he's a row down from you. <laughs> right. And he's a row down. Right um Uh, not my not my proudest moment but we're always pretty honest on the podcast so how was the pizza oh i loved it it was delicious we went right after we went right up my friend was like oh my god he was like he was like you got it after he like badgered me until i gave the kid the ball after i went and claimed the pizza Mm -hmm. because i didn't care about the ball right and then then after the game yeah we totally
2: ate pizza after the game okay so my dickhead story has got you beat by a thousand times it's it's a funny that your lead in is to brag about that you're a bigger dick than i am (laughs) okay so i don't even know where to start here so in high school in canada i'm in the 10th grade and i meet this teacher for the first time he's a science teacher i fucking hate science in as a subject i can't stand it chemistry biology physics you can all just fuck off (laughs) and so this guy i don't know he just rubbed me the wrong way there's something about him can't put my finger on it just don't like the guy. His name is Mr. Doubting. Okay. When you picture him, just picture a blonde version of Mr. Rogers. Like he's a goody two shoes. <laughs> he thinks he knows it all. He talks down to you in a condescending manner. And he believes like he's great and you're nothing. Okay? that's the way he rubbed me. Like, you know, like I I just didn't get a good vibe from him at that time. I'm only 15, 16 years old. He brags constantly about being the only teacher in the school. Who didn't have to kick any students out of his class okay so he kept <laughs> bragging i've never kicked a student out of my class i went to school in a really rough neighborhood at that point and so he goes oh, yeah i've never kicked a student out of class i've never kicked a student out of class and so i made it my mission to get kicked out of this guy's class okay and i did everything i could fucking do to get kicked out of his class and he wouldn't budge like he just he wouldn't kick me out and so one day this is like two years later we're now in like grade 11 i think grade 11 almost grade twelve. Something like that. And we were sitting in his biology class. And so we played this stupid game in school. And you know how you play games during class? Like the teacher's doing whatever and you're not really paying it, she's not paying attention, or he's not paying attention to what you do. And so we started this ridiculous game. Listen to how fucking crazy this was. This game was: whenever the teacher calls on you, you get one point if you answer using somebody's mother or sister or girlfriend in your response to the teacher. Okay, so if the teacher says, for example, like, what day is it today? And you go, oh, I know today's Tuesday because on Monday I was with Bob's mother. Like if you did that. <laughs> okay. So if you did that, you got one point. If the goal was to mention somebody's mom, sister, or girlfriend in your answer. So the teacher goes doubting his name is Mr. Doubting standing at the front. He goes, all right, who knows what a water strider is? And so this guy raises his hand and he goes, last week, I was double riding with Nader's mother down in the valley. And when we got there, we saw this spider-like thing walking on the water. And so Mr. Doubting is like, you know, he's trying to brush it off. So he goes, okay. He goes, you know, that's the correct answer, but I highly doubt you went with Nader's mother. That's what he said. I highly doubt you went with Nader's mother. Then out of fucking nowhere it was like i was possessed by a demon i stood up like you know how in those science labs you have those stool seats like they're not seats like they're just like stools right high stools yeah i stood up on my stool stood up on the stool in the front of the whole class i go sir what are you talking about next week he's going with your wife oh. <laughs> the whole class fucking erupts in laughter like erupts in laughter it's part of it is my enthusiasm part of it is what i said Oof. he turns around Grabs a ruler stick and he smashes the ruler stick on the front desk like it's a movie, like it breaks into two, it breaks into two, and he goes, Get out of here! Right? So I go out with the biggest fucking grin on my face, like I broke this motherfucker, right? So, yes, I got kicked out. So I get kicked out, and then I'm not bad in any of my other classes, so in like math and english and all that stuff i'm at the top of the class i'm nowhere near the bottom but in these science classes i'm way like i don't i don't give a shit so i'm like a little bit worried oh am i supposed to go to the office am i supposed to go to the principal's office am i going to be in trouble for this so after about five minutes of walking around on the third floor i go back and i go i'm gonna go and find out like you know where am i supposed to go so i start coming back and he's just come he was totally beet red So I come back to the classroom, and we had an open concept class. So you could see where people were coming from, every angle. So as I'm walking towards the class, he sees me. He starts running for me, like bolting for me, like he's going to beat me up. (laughs) So he starts running for me. And I go, where am I supposed to go? Where am I supposed to go? He goes, I don't care. Get out of here. (laughs) He just like (laughs) screaming at the top of his lungs. And that is probably my most proud moment of being a dickhead in high school. I've been a dickhead other times. So.
0: <laughs> Mike, you have anything? Yeah, probably too many of them. We were all dickheads at this house. Like when You, you, you know a lot of the guys, both of you. So uh, I don't know how well you guys know Walker. <laughs> okay, so we decided that he wasn't really the intended victim. We didn't really have one. But we went to the store and we ended up getting, we went to uh, the one aisle. We noticed there was chocolate X-Lax. So we got every single thing they had. We bought every one. I think there was 10 of them or something. So like it's split up into little pieces. And I guess like, you know, one or two of those, you should be shitting like a goose. And there's a candy bar size, you know, and there's probably 12 pieces on there and you need like two. So we took 10 candy bars and we had my mom melt them and we put uh, almonds in them. And then we filled up like those little candy things and we put them in the candy dish and we set them in the in the living room. So there were a bunch of us over. Uh, people just started, you know, people just start coming in. And by, by at one point, there were probably 10 of us. Walker walks and he sits down next to the candy dish and he goes, Oh, well, what's up with the chocolates? And, uh, Oh, I, I said, yeah, we, we got them from somebody. But we don't like them. So, you know, they're free game. Eat what you want. So he starts fucking woofing these things down, man. One after the other. I, oh. I don't know how many are in there. Probably maybe 15. So within the first couple of minutes, the kid down three or four of them. So like, you know, one of them's enough to really get you going. He, he, he goes, uh, who did he ask? He asked one of us, and one of us said, "You know, if you don't eat them, then you know someone else is just going to eat them when you, when they come over." You know, oh my, it
2: sounds like Maddie oh
0: B. <laughs> yeah, he's he's like he's like fuck that. Well, no, Maddie wasn't there for that, but he's like he's like fuck them. He's like I like the whole thing, so he ate every single one.
1: Oh my god!
0: <laughs> that, now that like you need like you know one or two. He ate fifteen. The kid shit for, for I think he said four days or something. He said he lost twenty pounds. We're all sitting there, and every time he takes one we fucking start laughing and and we're trying and we're not trying to make it not obvious that we're laughing at him eating, but he's fucking every time. Like I'm telling you, my chest right, right, was right. hurting. I was crying. My, my throat hurt from laughing. We were pissing ourselves. And then finally, when the kid's done, he, he's, he's got a normally like orangish reddish <laughs> demeanor to his face always. So like, he's he's starting to turn like a different color and it's not, you know, he's very citrusy looking, but now he's starting to look <laughs> a little bit frosted. He's starting to turn blue and he stands up and he goes, Oh, I'm feeling a little queasy. Uh. He, I don't know how it, how he made it out of here without it dripping down his leg, but he fired it. And I'm telling you, he shit himself for sure. He fucking flew out the door. We're dying. And then he calls and he goes, what, what the hell happened? He's like, we, I told him and he, Oh, man, he thanked me for it like 10 years later. I couldn't believe it. He thanked me because he, he said that he he he's never been back up to that size again because he lost like 20 pounds that week. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so your dickhead story ended up helping him lose weight. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> oh, That's great. Okay, so today we're talking about dickheads in general because we're going to talk about dickhead things in wrestling and things that we've seen in wrestling – that made us think that somebody was a dickhead. So we've all got some stories, I'm sure. Jim, what's the first one that comes to your mind? For for dickhead wrestlers, um or something somebody did as a wrestler. That was a, a total dickhead. Oh, the J, the J,
1: the JBL thing for sure. When JBL punches the meanie when the when ECW and and WWF are merged at that point.
2: Oh, that was legit. Yeah. That's the exact same one I had. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a fucking the, jerk. Unbelievable, yeah. right? There was no absolutely no need to do anything like that. And on top of that, like, you know, you, if you're going to bully somebody or go after somebody to do it in a public forum like that in front of everybody and have no fear of reprisal means that there was a, like an environment to uh, let that happen. I was super
1: grateful he got a. I re- I was super grateful he got a
2: receipt, though. Yeah, but the receipt he got was like doing the job, right? Like, is that really a receipt? No, no. Joey. No. Uh, Joey, Joey no, no, Styles, no.
0: right? <laughs> Not no. the fuck out, son. <laughs>
1: Yeah, like Stevie Richards hits him with that chair with full impact on that in that match with the match with the Meanie. Like he crushes. Oh, okay. Him. Yeah, I, I thought see. you were talking about how Joey Styles knocked him out.
2: Yeah, I thought so too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: great. Like if, if anybody, you know, that is great. The biggest bully, the biggest prick, and he gets knocked out by little Joey Styles. I would have paid to see that.
2: That would have been awesome. He should have. He should have called that himself. He should have <laughs> did the "Oh my god" afterwards. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Uh, so, you know, uh, Russo, I heard a, a shoot interview with Russo. Russo loves to talk a lot, but Russo did a shoot interview and he said the whole reason why he created the Brawl for All was just to see JBL get knocked out because he was bullying people backstage. That's all it was. That was the whole purpose. That's, <laughs> that's how much of a prick. Maybe the coolest thing he's done. Yeah, it might have been the only cool thing he did. <laughs> we all agree JBL knocking out or going after and attacking Blue Meanie and undefended Blue Meanie at ECW's One Night Stand 2005 is probably the biggest dickhead thing that we've seen. So if you have access to it, you can go and watch it. You'll see, as soon as all the guys get in the ring to fight each other, goes right after Blue Meanie and targets him from behind, right? He doesn't go at him face to face. He goes at him from behind, which is dirty, just dirty. Of all people, the guy that's
0: like a mountain of jelly, he didn't go after anybody imposing.
2: Right. He didn't. I would have loved to have seen him go after a guy who had a reputation for fighting. Taz, try going after Taz. (laughs) Then Dan wouldn't have put up with that shit either. Right, 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 right. There's a couple of guys there who would have been willing to throw down, right? And so he didn't go after any of those guys. Fucking the weakest guy there. Okay, no offense to Blue Meanie, but he's the weakest guy in that ring probably. Yeah. Okay, so the reason why we're talking about all this is in our match this week, we're going to talk about a character who is, I think, universally thought of as currently being the biggest dickhead in wrestling. And that's uh, one of Mike's favorites. If you go to our Instagram, you'll see a picture of Mike standing next to him with that guy being a dickhead. And we're talking today about MJF. So MJF uh, in our feature match this week, he's going up against Darby Allen. This is the first time I've seen either of them work a full match. And so I was surprised by a couple of things, disappointed by a couple of things. But overall, I did think it was an excellent match. What are your initial thoughts about this match, Jim?
1: Um, yeah, these are two great workers, not even honestly in their prime yet, like they they do so many callbacks to old school matches in this, and there's a couple great spots. Like, yeah, like they're they're the future. Uh, if AEW sticks around, which I'm, I think it will, these guys will be at the top of it in very short order.
2: Mike, what'd you think?
1: I thought it was great. I, I wanted you to see it. I, I picked it for a reason. I a couple
0: of those spots, with the reversals, just stuff I'd never seen before, and I think probably the best match for both of these guys in the in the company.
2: I see. I see. Yeah, I'm happy to have seen it. There's lots of spots I didn't expect to see. And especially having been a wrestling fan for like 40 something years, you kind of understand like, okay, they're going to go from here to there, here to there, here to there. But a couple of times they threw me for a loop. And that's what made this very, very entertaining. On top of like seeing guys who are skilled and in their prime, just the way they worked off each other and the way they transitioned was in some places very beautiful. But Let's get into what we normally get into. So, I hate to say this. The commentators this week, somebody take JR out to pasture. Oh, it's over. It's over, man. Why do you fucking have him in the booth still? His references are dated. Uh, his voice was the biggest part of his cell, but it's, I can't believe somebody can sound old. He sounds old. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't sound like he's part of this generation anymore. And he didn't, he's not aging well. I don't know why they fucking keep him there. We've talked about him before a little bit, but Jim, what do you think about his commentary in this match?
1: Yeah, I've been saying it for a bit. Um, I think me and Mike even might've watched this match. I might've been at Mike's house for it. Like, yeah, you, he needs, he needs to go. Like, it's not any disrespect to Jr., but like, I understand why he's there. I understand why they like to have him there. But, um, I think his, I think his time, if, if nothing else, his time on the pay-per-view should be done.
2: Wait, he's- Is he better, or sorry, is Taz better than him on commentary now, or no?
1: Yeah, I think so. Oh, really? Yeah, Yeah, as long as he's
2: not fucking doing his son's matches. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Right, okay, so the first thing is, get JR out of the booth. The second thing is, I for a long time, I've hated Shivani, and I know Mike said he turned the corner on Shivani after WCW, and this is the first time I heard a match called by Shivani that I thought wasn't bad. So my response to him is lukewarm. <laughs> it's getting better, <laughs> but but yeah, I'm I can't still still can't say I'm on board with Shivani. Yet, but but not bad. Uh, in front of Jr. He's you know like music to my ears. He, he's just awful. Okay, then the ref Mike. We talked
0: about. Hold on a second. We're leaving out Excalibur. He's uh, he's outstanding.
2: He's the best. He he's so good. I think there's nothing to say. There's nothing to. say. He's just good. He's very very good. Very, very, very good.
0: And Jim Ross did have two comments that stuck out in probably the first couple minutes that, that I I did like that he, he said MJF was a real Richard.
2: <laughs> I didn't get that. A dick. Ah, I see. Oh. But, it, it, okay. but then, right, he, right, right.
0: then he followed that up with uh, calling those two guys two of the four pillows of AEW instead of pillars. <laughs> and I rewound it, and I'm like, did he say pillows? And I'm like, oh, yeah, he said pillows.
1: <laughs> oh, that's great.
0: I, I feel bad for JR. You know, I I, I don't blame him for one, wanting to do it and I, he's, you know, he probably doesn't have much longer left either way. But yeah, that that was four pillows.
2: Dude, to be honest with you, if I'm in JR's position, I want to do as much as I can as well, as long as I can. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to give it up. Yeah. But they should be putting him in probably on Dark or yeah. some other thing, right? Like, not in the the big shows and the main events and stuff like that. Okay, so okay, that's, I we agree. The ref, We talked about the AEW refs when we talked about the Orange Cassidy match. And Mike, you talked about really being a big fan of this ref, but I love him. Yeah, but I'm going to tell you why I hate this guy. And it's not that he doesn't do a good job. He does a good job. He's in the right place at the right time. He has good facial expressions. The problem is is his three counts are way, way, way over the top. And so he belittles any False finish. Like, you know, because he's putting like lots of tension and lots of energy into those three counts at every single moment, you never feel or you never get the sense of like this true false finish is that false finish. I mean, like when we watch Kobashi Misawa, you'll get the ref, like, he'll do a one, two in the early stages, but it's not like he's building the tension or he's not like really, really like has all his nervous energy into the count. But as they get close to the finish, he gets faster and faster and faster and faster. And so Like it builds. But this ref, every count is like it's an almost fall three count. Even when it's like the early stages of like the, uh, what's it? uh, Headlock takeover. Like the very, very early stages. He's like going all out. And I thought like it just doesn't fit the speed or the pace of the match. What do you think about that, Jim? Yeah, I think from
1: a, I understand what you're saying from a storytelling aspect. But I think what he's trying to do is give you consistency so you never know where the finish is going to be and it's not it's not playing as well for you and i because we're used to what you're talking about where it kind of builds or there's a moment where the ref kind of speeds it up and he's he's just consistent
2: right right it's true he's consistent i agree he's consistent mike why do you like this guy so much what is it about him that I'm not seeing.
0: I like his personality. I, I like I how he's different from most other refs. And then like kind of seeing things about him and hearing things about him online, hearing things from his mouth. He seems like a pretty decent guy on top of that. Uh, I see. He's super over with the guys too. That's how, you know, that's how he got the job. That's how Rick Knox got the job. You know, they're super over with the guys and Rick Knox is kind of like that too. They, they get, they'll get involved in the match. So like I, I first started seeing him in Chikara mm-hmm. and Chikara had a lot of really goofy stuff in it. Mm-hmm. And you know, th- there could be like a, you know, you know, a, a, a dance could break out in the middle of a match, and it would just seem like so stupid. But it was fitting in Chikara, and he would always get in involved in these little stupid things, right? And he would—it would always be kind of funny. So, like, if you kind of saw him in, throughout the years in Chikara, you would probably know why I have that attachment to him. I, he just was always like—he—he he was a part of the match, and he—and he, and some of the times, you know, he was really good, and it, he could be really funny. I just a lot of the stuff he did was was pretty good. So they haven't done a lot of that here. I see, but uh, in AEW. But but yeah, I like. I think I liked that he was different. He stuck out to me. He, he had a different personality. I like how like when somebody kicked out, it was just so such a fucking monumental thing. You like just or I like or I like when like someone out someone takes like this devastating move, and you could see it on his face, and he like cringes.
2: Right, right. You know, I, I agree. I, I know that's
0: probably what I would do if I saw someone, you know, some dude get dropped in their dome. I'd probably throw my shoulders up and be like, "Ooh, you know," and I'd go in for the pin. But I'd be like, "Damn, dude!" And and they kind of do that there, where you didn't see that like with the old school guys, but like him. He does that, and some of the other ones do that, too.
2: I agree. That's cool. I totally agree with you. That's cool. But I think Jim hits it right on, like, the nail right on the top of the head. It's that that buildup just isn't there, right? Like, those facials and all that stuff is there, but that buildup. And I think I'm just maybe too old school in the type of matches that I like because I think that's just the way the old school matches go. But, okay, but not bad. Definitely not bad. Definitely not bad. Then we're going to start this match with a couple of things that I'm going to shit on Because I want to hear your opinions about it. And right from the get go, (laughs) Darby Allen comes out to the ring and they play this video and they explain what the video is. But I'm thinking if I watch this video in the crowd, it makes me want to cry or make me feel sad at best. I'm not going to stand up and go, yeah, Darby Allen, go, go. You know, like it doesn't motivate me to want to cheer for the guy. It's fucking depressing as fuck. And so I don't know why anybody thinks that's a good idea. What are your thoughts on that, Mike?
0: Well, he's a dark, he's a dark guy. Like his whole thing is, is dark, and he has a different. He has like different videos for all the big matches.
2: Ah, I see
0: that he produces. So like he does, he does movies. He does, you know, he does stunts. Obviously, he does uh, skateboarding. So. He he makes, you know, makes all these different videos before the match. I see.
2: So this is not just like the one that they use every week. Like, you know how we get the entrance.
0: That's not a standard intro. No. I see. It was more tailored to the match.
2: I see. That's a lot better than That's a lot better. Yeah. No, you don't have to see that every time. God, no. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, Jim, what are your thoughts about his intro video stuff?
1: Yeah. What Mike said, like, that's like, when we talk about, Orange Cassidy having his things that are specific to him. that's really specific to Darby Allen that he does that. So people are just sort of used to it being dark or different or and that's like that's just where he's at as far as a
2: character. I see, I see because okay, that's the first thing. The second thing that I picked up that uh, <laughs> Mike might pop for this, but it looked like MJF's robe should have been worn over Mike Quackenbush's outfit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure it's purposely awful.
2: I don't think it does. I agree it's awful, but I don't think it does much to make me think of him as a prick. Like, it makes me just think he doesn't have any sort of fashion sensibility, right? Like, you could wear an outfit that makes you look like a prick that's better than that. It just looked fucking weird. It was... It was awful. I I thought it was fucking ridiculous. Thoughts, Jim?
1: Yeah, I think, and I I have not looked for this online, but I think he's doing it on purpose because I think he's trying to be a jerk as far as, like, I don't want, like, disrespecting the old generation because he's come out Mm -hmm. in, like, a flair-style robe, and that's kind of, like, a macho-man-ish style jacket i think he's like inside joking but i'm not i haven't like gone through all his matches to see if that's a thing all the way through
2: i see yeah i agree that i think there are things that you could wear to make you look like a prick right especially if you're going for that class distinction or trying to show that i'm upper class in the fans or lower class he could have worn something like more luxurious like the rock took expensive fashion and made it look cool right you don't you can wear expensive things without looking cool you can look like a prick but this was just—I—I I, I don't know—I didn't get it. What do you think?
0: Well, Mike? Where's the Burberry Scarf or the Burberry scarf or whatever you want? Right, call right, right, right. Yeah, right. yeah, so yeah. right. That? That's like the main—the main gimmick thing you see though. like, the as far as like the robes, they're pretty interchangeable.
2: I see. The Burberry scarf's perfect for him. Fits exactly. Well. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's yeah. Great. Okay. So then, that out of the way, we get into the match, and there's a couple of things Mike has wanted me to see for a long time. How Darby Allen flies into guys, and I'm gonna say on the podcast for everybody to hear this guy does the best topes best launches of anybody in wrestling probably that I've ever seen in my life not even close I agree not even close great great very aggressive it's a fucking missile the
1: speed the speed is crazy
2: yeah the speed the big issue that I think that's a problem here is that he's small right like he's a little bit small relatively speaking oh yeah so if he was yeah so if he was bigger he couldn't get that kind of speed. And most of the guys who did these planches, they were trying to do the planches a lot bigger than him, right? The smaller guys, like I would expect something like this out of a ray Mysterio or guys like that, but nobody has ever used their body as a torpedo like of the lighter guys like he does. And so job well done. Very, very well done. I, I hate
0: that other guys in the company even do that spot because it looks like absolute dog shit. Like anytime you see any fucking buddy do it, Compared to him. It's just awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I showed you the clip, right? You saw the clip of him hitting uh, one of the gun
2: boys down the ramp? Right. I saw it. Insane. Great. Very aggressive. Yeah. It's excellent. Excellent. Well done. Very well done. Okay. That's that's great. Then, The other thing that uh, right off the get-go is of all the guys that we grew up with watching wrestling, and I know it's hidden because of the face paint and because of the outfit, but Sting has probably aged the best of everybody. He looks great. Well, have you seen Billy Gunn? Yep, Billy Gunn looks great, but he looks like he's that tanned old beach guy. You know what I mean? Like he looks old in his face, and he Dude's re- fucking
1: shredded
0: though. But man. he's shredded. He's shredded. Sting's I don't know. Share, you know. Sting's done well here, way beyond any of my expectations. I think he's. They've they've figured found a way to use him really well. Right, but. uh and I think it's, his stuff's probably been better than Billy Gunn's, but Billy Gunn is
2: his physique, right?
0: Fucking shredded, yeah. and you know, dude's like sixty. He's like fifty-nine.
2: Yeah, it's something like that.
0: <laughs> Billy Gunn's six, sixty is years he, old. Is he like fifty-nine years old? Jesus, wow!
2: For sixty, that's incredible.
0: Incredible. That's incredible for twenty, dude.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. That's incredible crazy. for twenty. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so yeah, good. Both good examples. I think Sting looks great, and you're right, Billy Gunn looks absolutely fantastic. Unfortunately, the other guys from our era didn't age so well. They hit their 40s and 50s. They looked awful. But these guys are doing great. Okay, then, the match. Let's get into the match. They start off with the idea of from a storytelling perspective, MJF tells you he's going to beat you with a simple hold that you can't expect you'll be beaten by, and then he goes ahead and proves it, and it makes you angry about Yeah, having to eat his words or believe, like, you know, to accept what he said came true. I love the concept of the story. We'll get to the execution a bit. But the concept of the storytelling here, genius. Great. What do you think, Jim?
1: Yeah, like, MJF, all of his matches or all his storylines are really well thought out. And um, I think that's going to continue. I think that's going to be a mainstay for him moving forward. And that's what makes him the top heel of that company. I see.
2: I see. Yeah, Mike, what do you thought some of the storytelling here?
1: Yeah, I agree with Jim. I, he's had a lot of careful
0: thought into everything he's done.
2: Is that him or is that somebody booking backstage, controlling him? Like, and becoming, That's him. Oh, that's him. Yeah. Wow, that's great. The, in in
1: AEW, there's a lot of, um, you, you make your own success. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's, it's tapered off a little bit now where Tony Khan has a little more say, but mostly the guys are pitching the ideas.
2: I see. I see. That's, I think what, what always gets the best product out, right? Because they know their characters better than anybody else.
0: And he hasn't been overexposed. He hasn't wrestled a ton of matches in the company for being there the whole time. He, I think he's probably what I can't imagine much more than 10 to 10 to 15 matches of that.
2: Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, His mic work is great. You know, it's not a lot. You don't need that guy in the ring every week. You need him talking shit to people every week. That's what you need. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Great, great. And then you want Darby Allin not saying anything to anybody, just going out and like flying on people, right? That's what you want. And so it's a good contrast here in styles. I think it's great. Okay, then we get into the match. A couple of great things and a couple of shit things. The shitty thing is, what's it called? The coffin drop? Yeah. The coffin drop on the outside. Oh. Looked awful. The one to the, I at love, the end? The one in the ring. No, no. The the very beginning. In the very beginning, he does one to the outside. like The was, one he hits on the apron or the one he hits on the no, outside? No, the one he hits on the outside when MGF's on the ground.
0: Okay, well, that one's not good, but the one yeah. on the apron was pretty yeah. good.
2: yeah. Right, right. So I was going to say, like, the so the first time I'm ever seeing this move is when he hits it to the outside, and I'm like, this is a fucking move. What is this? This doesn't look like fuck all. Like It looks non- like nonsense. But then when he hit the one, right away he tried to hit one in the ring, and it got blocked with the double knees. Oh, that was good. But it looked so much more impressive. Yeah, that was good. And then the one later was great, right? Those were much better. So I was a little bit surprised that something so simple could look so deadly, and it looks great, but the first execution kind of turned me off of it a little bit and put me on my edge of my seat for like being skeptical about is this really going to be good so i watched a lot of this with a little bit of negativity in my mind okay so keep that in mind then there's one thing i've never ever seen ever before in wrestling darby allen runs off the ropes jumps up on mjf almost in the frankensteiner position mjf catches him does a power bomb on his knee i have never, never ever seen that before it's ingenious it's devastating and the greatest thing of all of that is the motherfuckers in the crowd finally understood that's when you say this is awesome and they said this is awesome at the right time bravo <laughs> <laughs> me,
0: yeah me and jim we together, popped. and we were both like Holy shit. we both we both didn't know what to say we both i never we both said it like we've never seen it and then i heard someone on some podcast say yeah like i've never seen that in my life so i mean that's a, like 160 years of wrestling experience. We've never seen that. Maybe it's out there, but that was the first time I've seen it, and That was what a great counter. Oh,
2: great, great, really great. And then another- of them too. Yeah, a ton
0: of them, too. a, yeah, ton, a, ton, of them them,
2: a ton of them. And the next Even one, let's get- Even
0: before that, there was a, he was about to do a power or a tombstone off the top rope. And, and just, right. it was a simple thing, but I like how he was countering him with the knees to the head.
2: Right, right, right. Great, great. A lot of the counters were great. Another great counter was Darby Allin goes for the Code Red. And MJF oh reverses God. him into a powerbomb. That would have made yes. Onita proud or Sid Vicious proud. Yeah, <laughs> He fucking destroyed <laughs> him.
1: <laughs> oh, that was
2: awesome. It's great. Really, really, really fantastic. Great, great spots. And what's excellent is both guys have great facials. Like they sell it. They make it look believable. Yeah. And then the next spot, as you mentioned, Mike, that, the tombstone pile driver stuff, all that stuff is great. The tombstone pile driver on the apron, wow, wow. That's
0: another one I had. Yeah, written, yeah. That that was great, and and that was even it was even better because when he went for the coffin drop, like you brought up earlier, he brought up the knee. He hurt his knee, right? So, so that was you know something there. So, so and then and then here he's not able to take advantage because of his his knees hurting on the off the tombstone.
2: So, I agree with you, but you're not going to like what I have to say next is I was watching this match too way too closely and I was way too skeptical. So at 2124, MJF starts selling the wrong leg. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, oh really? whoa, whoa, what are you doing?" Yeah, he he switched the leg huh. that he was selling about 3 quarters away into the match. I was like, "Ah, oh. I like, I don't think anybody in the world picked up on that. Right. Nobody, everybody knew his legs were hurt. His legs were hurt. Darby Allen attacked the right leg. He gave the, what's it called? The chop block from the back to the right leg. Everything's all, And then suddenly midway in the match, he's hurt on his, like he's limping on his left leg. And so I don't know if it's. I'll maybe he heard that one more. I don't, I didn't see anywhere. I looked, I didn't see anywhere where he went for an attack on the left leg to make him. Maybe he did, but like, or maybe it was naturally hurting. And he was trying to like really sell it. I doubt it. But like, he, there was no, all the attacks were all on the right leg. And then he suddenly starts selling the left leg. Go back and watch it. Tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, but 21 24, I wrote the time down. I was like, oh, 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 But other than that, even how Darby got back in the ring was cool off of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Know, last time he kind of, he didn't put his arms, he kind of just like slid in there with his head. Right. And this is the second time I've seen the crowd pop at an almost count right? We saw it with Misawa and Kobashi, and we see it here again today. So that's a thing that I think can be done well, and it's just not done well often. It takes a certain kind of caliber of talent to make that work, and these guys are at that level. At this point in their careers, they are. It was good. Very good. And they're good. Young, young 20s. so Right. And athletically, fantastic. They're at their peak. Okay, and then the Code Red goes to a great, great false finish with a very, very close to to like two and nine tenths. Yeah, excellent. The crowd is losing their mind. Everybody's into it, and then we get the coffin drop. And I hate to say this, and I've only seen a couple. As you know, I've only seen a couple of AEW matches. What the fuck with this outside interference, distraction bullshit? Is this something that they do regularly to uh, get the refs distracted, or am I just unlucky having to? Have only seen the two matches that have used this. That happened in
0: both the matches. Yeah, I didn't realize that.
2: Right, you're unlucky. Uh, I'm just unlucky. I see. I see. Because again, I'm like, why the fuck are these guys coming down here, man? What the fuck? It didn't.
0: Affect- it didn't affect the match, though, right? Because Sting caught him.
2: Right, right. So Sting caught him, but like it made the referee turn around and not notice like that diamond, like basically, basically the brass knuckles. Right. It he he didn't notice him take out the brass knuckles and use it for the finish. So they wanted to distract the referee somehow. I thought they could have gotten to. A referee distraction in a better way, as opposed to having guys fight out on the ramp. Like,
0: it just his group's kind of a group of thugs too. He's got like, yeah, a group of, you know, so they're oh, kind of, you know, think like NWO or the Horseman or something. If oh, they're see. in trouble. What's what's going to happen? Iron uh, Tully, Oli,
2: I Barry. See. These guys are going to go down. You know, they're coming down. It's just that's just the way it is. Yeah. Okay. Is that, yeah, it's, so... it's not
0: like a natural thing. There, aren't, there aren't a lot of like Schmaz finishes or or screw jobs. There, I think there's only been a few like. I think there's maybe been one or two count outs.
2: Oh, uh,
0: uh, see. maybe uh, three draws, which I love the draws. I, right. I, Good. You know, I think that's great. So there's, there's been like three of them. And then uh, like disqualifications, I don't even know if there have been any, there may be, maybe one or two on the, but yeah, they, they showed like a, a number. Mm-hmm. Like,
2: yeah. Like, at the bottom, like, I noticed, in
0: comparison right. Yeah. To like WWE and there's the amount of screw, job finishes is very small in comparison or like, yeah. disqualifications are are, I don't even know if they exist.
2: I see. So hopefully going forward, the more AEW matches we get to watch, the more clean finishes I'll see. But this is just two in a row that I've got the outside interference thing. So that just stuck with me. But overall, both guys are very, very, very talented. Extremely talented. I love MJF's character. I love the way he makes the crowd want to hate him. And he's not a heel where people are cheering for him heel. He's like a throwback like a heel that nobody likes. Your grandmother's like hitting him with their purse. Like she he's that kind of heel. I love that. It's rare. And I'm glad that he's doing it because I think it's gonna pay off in spades in the future. Really well done.
0: Yeah, there was there was a kid at a pre- press conference talking uh-huh. all kinds of shit with him, and he was he was in a wheelchair and he's sitting there with his dad. Mm-hmm. And he's like, You know, you got a lot of big big words, little man. Why don't you stand up and say it to my face? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's dickhead.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the next
0: level dickhead. The dude's a 24 seven gimmick. You know, he's a yeah. he, uh, pe- people in the back. They say that about him all the time, that he's just always a dick that that's him. He's just a dick. Talk about living the gimmick, like Flair did, or some of these other guys. He, he's one of those guys that just lives it.
2: You know what? And I think that's what's making him so believable, right? You believe like what the words that are coming out of his mouth, because he's not acting right. He, he's he in
0: goes down line. On, and he right? talks about how he's a free agent in 2024. Not that he wants to leave, but he wa- he knows that it's a dick thing to do and that people in AEW are going to get mad at him. So he's like, in, in 2024, there's going to be a big bidding war for my services. Because WWE is uh, very interested. Sure, they should uh, be. Apparently, after his promo uh, battle with, with uh, CM Punk, Mm-hmm. a bunch of networks were, were expressing how much they want him to, to work for the company. So pe- he's going to get a huge payday when, when he's a free agent, whenever that is, if it's 2024 or 2025, I think that someone else maybe alluded to,
2: but deservingly. So he's, he's getting,
0: he's getting like a lot in that. And, and of course he'd be great in WWE, but I think it would be like when Bubba, Bubba went to WWE, you know, Bubba was still good. The Dudleys were still good, but it's not like in, in ECW where he's got, he, he's got an old camp blank canvas and he could say whatever the fuck he wants and he said brutal stuff you know and then there's no way MJF gets away with that kind of shit in WWF WWE
2: no way and if you rub the wrong guy the wrong way in the office you're fucked right like that's just, just life in WWE you can't there's no way in a corporate environment where there's a lot of you know layers of management that I think his style works I think his style needs to work in a place where he's got a lot of control over the outcome of what he's doing and so I think it's great for him to be where he's at. I don't know if New Japan or some other place is an alternative for him, but where he's at is perfect. Well, I think it would and be I one of the
0: quick. two. I think it would be WWE or AEW. I don't think. And nowhere else. I mean, it? It's not like, you know, it's not like he's moving to Missouri then.
2: Right, 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 right.
0: That's a whole life, you know, that's a whole different lifestyle.
2: Jim, what are your thoughts on these two guys? Yeah, they're two of the best.
1: Like, I think, I think Darby Allen's going to have a five-year career, yeah. and then he's going to just be broken, but that's, That's my personal opinion. But like, yeah, they're both great. They both sell well. Like Darby Allin is crazy over despite quite a few losses. I mean, he he had the TNT title for a little bit. But like even like him, it's the thing that WWE lost somewhere along the way. Like guys can lose and still be crazy over and you can just move them into other feuds. And he's a perfect example of that. He lost to Punk. He's lost to MJF. Like he hasn't won a match or a feud, and I don't know how long on a singles match. I see,
2: I see, but I don't think it matters because they don't need to sell him that way, right?
1: Right. They they don't.
2: People
0: often see that he's 120 pounds soaking wet, so they see they're probably just amazed of what he just can be, what he goes through.
1: Yeah, but I think American audiences just used to people having to maintain momentum. And that's, that's not how it was back in the day.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And let's move on to our segment. Who the
0: fuck is that guy? Who the fuck is that guy?
2: Who the fuck is that guy? There are, in this week's, who the fuck is that guy? One, two, three, four. There's five rounds. And if, I, if we get to round five, I win. But you, okay. you, I don't think it's getting to round five. You're getting this. You're gonna get. This. You should get this. Okay. So, who won last
1: time? Mike. Mike is up because goes up. one.
0: I think you've been winning these couple of these weeks, so I think I'm still goes we'll, one. Go. we'll go. Goes we'll go
2: yeah, goes, time, one. goes one. So Mike first. Goes one. Okay, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So Mike first. Here we go. Round one. Who the fuck is that guy? The sports agent. <laughs>
1: Don Calis. That's a great guess.
2: Oh, that's a great guess. That suits him. Yeah, that suits him. Yeah, it's wrong. It's the wrong answer. Round two, Jim. Dan Farron. Dan Croft. Incorrect. Mike, round three. Hondo the honeybee haymaker. (laughs) Hot dog.
0: Jervis Cottonbelly. Go back to him
1: from last week. Incorrect. A great guess, though.
2: Yeah, it's a good guess. Uh, Jim, here's the last chance for you guys to win this week. Bo Beverly. Oh. Um, well, I know.
1: You don't know which one it is, right? <laughs> no, right. I don't know which one it is. Um,. Wayne Bloom. Correct.
2: Nice, Jimmy. Yes. <laughs> very good. Very <sighs> good. That was a tough one. That was a tough one. So, the sports agent, Dan Farron, handles a honeybee haymaker. What? That's insane. I started thinking, like, that
0: sounded like some crazy shit that, like, uh, goes or whatever. or a goes gimmick. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sorry, this or that. I'm already laughing looking at the question. I put my questions into like a pool and then I randomly picked one today. This week's this or that. Start with you, Jim. This or that. Rick Martel or Sherry Martel? <laughs> you dick. Um, let me see. Well, uh,
1: no, it's got to be Sherry Martel because... Because it's Sherry Martell. I mean, we've, we've had off, several off-air conversations about Sherry Martell. Um, I'm just going to leave it at Sherry Martell and not say anything
2: else. Mike, what about you? Rick Martell or Sherry Martell?
0: Before I heard the second name, I'm like, well, okay, I'm probably going to go with Martell. He was pretty good. That's what I did. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with a Martell, but I'm going to go with the same one for the same reasons as Jim.
2: Yeah, it's a clean sweep this week. I also agree. Rick Martel's fantastic. The probably the greatest AWA champion there was. It, it's disputable, but he was great. He was great. Buckwinkle's there too. Probably there's a couple of guys. But he's the best face
1: of all time, I think.
2: Yeah. Uh yeah, maybe, maybe Ricky Steamboat and him. Well, a couple okay, of AWA
1: Jim, I think, was referring to. Uh, right, no, I right, mean, right. For, no, for AWA champions.
0: Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Definitely. Definitely. So yeah. So Rick Martel's great. Very good. But uh, Sherry Martel is out of this world in many different ways. Okay. All right. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> so we've heard what you've had to say. And a lot of you are saying that you love the discussion that we have amongst each other. But you're not really interested in wrestling that much. <laughs> A thing that ruined it a little bit for me was I was standing next to my fucking useless brother. That <laughs> <laughs> wasn't.
0: You, you told me we were doing Sting Invader. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you about shit from 35 years ago.
2: <laughs> I didn't have any friends in Buffalo at the time, so I wasn't familiar with Buffalo at all. It was just a dirty place on the other side of the border. <laughs> yeah. Freaked the hell out of me when I looked at the rankings and I saw Conan... Austin Jericho us
0: (laughs) it's hilarious right it's
2: crazy you don't want to listen to all that wrestling bullshit then follow us on YouTube on YouTube we'll cut up all the intro segments and some of the games and post them on there as clips and so if you're not interested in the matches go over to YouTube and subscribe to our channel it's 6 Man Tag Podcast it's time for you to tag in don't forget to like and subscribe
0: If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to write to us at sixmanpodcast at gmail.com. For now, it's time to tag out. What? The f-
1: he's using
0: hypnosis!